Welcome back to the Maluli Asset Management Podcast. This is episode number 407, filling in for Casey today as the host and mic number one. Not any better than mic number two, but this is Tim Maluli and Brendan is here with me today. I'm on mic two and it's been quite a while since it, uh, it's, since we did uh, a podcast, just uh, me and you, Tim. Like, just the two of us. Yeah, but uh, we'll, we'll hold it down for the day. We got some good stuff to talk about, I think. Yeah, Definitely. I think, you know, top of mind here, uh, we're recording this right before Labor Day weekend. We had some comments from the Fed, uh, from Fed Chairman uh, Jerome Powell at the end of last week, and it kind of sparked a sell-off pause of the rally that we've seen in the market. So we just wanted to touch on that briefly and share some thoughts. We've seen things kind of Turned back around after we had a little bit of a rally from, say, the middle of June through through last week. Bren, what are your thoughts on what's been going on? Yeah, I mean, I think we saw uh, over, like you said, June and June and July, some positive market action, which was welcome. Yeah. Uh, after the way uh, you know the first six months of the year had gone, I think what seemed to be sparking that, at least in the moment, was uh, data showing that inflation uh, might be slowing down. Not not the very positive data that we truly need to see to show progress, but we were shown, uh, we were seeing signs of of uh, initial progress. Let's call it. I feel the, like on I, the inflation. I feel like people were starting to like look ahead mm-hmm. to what was to come. You know, now here in August and into September and through the end of the year, the data hadn't really turned that much of a corner but it, it was it was at all. yeah it was it just started to a little bit right i think everybody started to get a little optimistic about what what might be to come uh, maybe maybe we are getting through this after all right sort of thing yeah and then and then last week the, the fed comes out with their comments um and at least in my opinion i don't think they really said anything new it's it's rare that they do in fact however yeah. it was interpreted to be pretty hawkish in the sense that they, basically all they said was that inflation is still a priority and that they're going to keep doing what they need to do to get it under control. It's not a change in tune from the prior two months when we were starting to uh, see signs of progress. I think if they did the opposite, let's say, and they came out and they were like, yeah, it looks like we are starting to make progress. Like It's right. not under control yet. And I think that that's all they they meant to get out there last week. The job's not done yet. Maybe we are starting to see some signs of progress, but not enough that we're willing to stop with, you know, the timing right. that they've been doing to try to get it under control. It's a priority. Yeah, and I mean, you know, it is it it is a good thing that the a lot of the inflation readings throughout different parts of the economy had seemed to stop going up at least. They hadn't been necessarily going down to to put the brakes on potentially more rate hikes and uh, continuing to raise interest rates, or just just putting the pause on fighting inflation—it's premature. It's, yeah, so, so they don't need to. That's all they were saying. Is it, it's right? We're, it not, just, we're not there yet. Was basically the comments. Yeah. And and I, it always. I've been. I've we. I've been working here for eight years now, and it just it blows my mind how how severe some of the reactions are just based on what the Fed says every time that they have a meeting. Yeah. It's like the I mean, one. It was. It's. It's been foreshadowed. They've been saying this all along. They haven't really changed their tune. Just because people wanted them to change their tune and they didn't doesn't mean that the story has changed. It's just a lot of the the interpretation and the. It seems like overreactions to it to me just makes me shake my head. 
Yeah, we're just, I mean, as, as usual, the stock market likes to oscillate between black and white, you know, the extremes, because I think that it, it, maybe I'm putting words in other people's mouths, but I think the concern then if the Fed is going to continue tightening to because they, they don't see the inflation job as done yet, which I think is correct. Yeah. If, if they're going to take that stance, then, then the people who are worried are worried that they're going to tighten to such an extent that they're going to send every, they're going to send us into a recession, right? Um, because it's because it's one or the other. It can't be something in between, right? Uh, which is of course certainly possible. Right. Uh, it just it seems like for the last several months now we've just been jumping back and forth between inflation is out of control. Now the Fed's doing something about it, oh, but wait a second. But they're what if now they they're do doing too much. too much. Yeah, I don't know. And then we go back and forth, rinse, repeat, and and we've seen the market just kind of chop as as a result. Yeah, um, which is not fun. Uh, no. It's not fun to see. And so yeah, as as we kicked off saying, I mean, uh, a bit of a sell off over the last week, um, at least in the short term, seems seems like it was sparked by those comments. But uh, you know, I I don't think that anything really fundamentally changed as a result of, of what they had to say. I, uh, yeah, I know that, um, Ben, Ben Carlson wrote this week on his blog about how, how he thinks, um, and I agree with this, that, that the fed is continuing to talk tough, but that if push comes to shove, uh, and, and they really are tightening, uh, to the extent that it's, it's really starting to impact the economy, that, their bark will be worse than their bite maybe and and that they'll have to back off because of course they don't want to do that right um but they do need to get inflation under control so it makes sense that that's their top priority right and i we were discussing this just before we turned the microphones on that you know if you had to you know pick uh inflation versus your sustained long-term inflation versus uh you know, a bad year, a blip in the in the market, you know, the bigger risk to retirees and investors in general would be if they didn't get inflation under control and inflation, you know, ran for years on end at eight and a half percent. That would do more damage to everyone's finances than, you know, the, the market dropping 15, 20 percent. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we we know when we build financial plans for people that we're going to experience even a retiree. If somebody is in their 60s on, on the precipice of retirement, we should anticipate that over their lifespan, when they'll be withdrawing from their portfolio 20, 30 years, we're going to experience probably two or three bear markets. Yep. Um, and, and they're not going to be fun. Um, it's easier to talk about them than it is to live through them, but we're going to experience that market volatility. But the idea that somebody's financial plan would have to account for 7% inflation for multiple years on end, that's a lot more difficult to plan for than, okay, we're going to have a bad year in the market every couple of years. Right. That You can you can totally plan for that. We do, and we will continue to do so. Um, right. The inflation one... It should be a priority because it's right. it's a lot tougher to plan for, and if it's tough for households to plan for, it's also tough for businesses to plan for, and that that's like a self self right. uh, fulfilling mechanism there in the sense that if the businesses are struggling to plan for it, then they're not doing as well, which impacts the stocks that households yeah. hold, and and households have to plan their own spending, and so yeah, it's just it's a difficult environment. So I think it's totally understandable that the Fed 
is taking the stance they are, even if we are starting to see some signs of these inflationary yeah. uh, things uh, slowing, like like we were seeing uh, in June, July with some of the economic data. Yeah, so it definitely doesn't feel good in the short term, but you know they're sacrificing a short-term uh, stretch of, of pain, so to speak, here for uh, long-term health, yeah. uh, for households, investors, businesses, um, so yeah, it, uh, it, it might feel bad right now and it might not be exactly what certain people want to hear, but, um, it seems to be a necessary evil at this point to get inflation under control. Uh, so, but with the market, with the market selling off, I think perpetual feature of market sell-offs is, uh, the financial media screaming that you should be doing something. Right? Yeah. I mean, that's, uh, that's, that's. That's their job, I suppose. Yeah, exactly. And I pointed out an article that I saw. It was on on CNBC today. And the headline was, you know, even despite recession fears, most investors haven't shifted their 401k assets. It went on to say that um, just 5% of 401k and 403b investors uh, on the Fidelity platform uh, shifted their allocation in the second quarter. So that means 95% of those people didn't touch their allocations at all in the second quarter. And that's pretty consistent uh, with the first quarter and even into 2021 as well. So, um, you know, it it got me thinking uh, on social media, you'll see posts like uh, Instagram versus reality. And like one picture will be a nice, finely polished uh, picture that looks beautiful. And the the next picture will be, you know, real life, uh, less polished, what's actually happening. Mm -hmm. And it, you know, I likened that to uh, the break room versus reality. So, you know, you might be during a market downturn talking to some of your coworkers or your friends or family, and they're telling you like, oh, you got to be making changes. I'm making changes in my account. I'm doing this. I'm doing that. Like they're, they're telling you, you got to do things. Uh, and you know, this, this article points to, and the, the data shows that majority of people are, are not doing that. Mm-hmm. They're not making that many changes to their investments. Um, so. It's interesting because the same fidelity study that that Tim just referenced there also had a quote uh, in the beginning about how uh, it was basically it was like survey data and then later on they showed the stat that that Tim just talked about so five percent of people on their platform which is very broad uh, fidelity is huge yep. in that re- workplace retirement plan space so 401ks 403bs you name it. Um, they're one of the biggest players out there. Five percent of people in the second quarter did something with their investments. Yeah. So watch what people do, not what they say, because that same study also had uh, a quote saying that uh, one. It was basically one in five. So twenty percent of people were extremely or very concerned about the health and stability of the economy, and as a result, uh, they ha- they say they have adjusted their retirement strategy as as, uh, as a result of all of that. Right. So that number, the percentage jumps up to 20% of people right. say that they're concerned they're doing, doing something. Things, but, then but the data actually shows that only 5% of those people are actually doing something about it. So, the, you know, what you said before, bark is worse than your bite. I mean, mm-hmm. some people might be talking a big game about all the things that they're doing, but they might not actually be doing it. So like listening to a random person on the street or one of your friends to make changes in your investments while the market's down, they might not even be doing what they're telling you that they're doing. Uh, So it really shouldn't have any bearing on what you're doing with your investments. Well, you know, another thing that that came to mind uh, upon reading this was just that 
you know, with a retirement plan, retirement account, um, like, like what Fidelity's speaking to here or, or, you know, IRAs or whatever else you have going for your long-term savings, if you've aligned your personal finances correctly in such a way that, you know, you, you have assets you're going to need in the short term set aside and safer stuff or, or even at the bank ready to be spent already, you know, if you have those cash reserves and you have your asset allocation in order, you know, there, there really shouldn't be much that you need to do aside from the uh, occasional rebalance in the account to make sure that your, your investments still reflect what's going on in your personal situation. And so I think maybe this speaks to the fact that you know, some people are you're doing a good job at that, that yeah. assets you're channeling into your 401k or your 403b or your IRA, those are assets that are for the long term. And so you should continue investing accordingly, even if we hit some turbulence for six months like we have now. Yeah, I was going to say, you know, especially, especially with retirement assets, I mean, to, you know, you're making short term changes for money that's going to be, depending on how old you are, you, it might not you might not be able to access this money for 10 years, yeah. 20 years, 30 years. So and even uh, if you're a retiree, like I said, if you've, if you're taking distributions from your retirement account, I would hope that, I mean, you should have that cash set aside in something short term and stable, mm-hmm. uh, regardless of the market environment we're in this year. Uh, it looks like a, a no brainer. Of course, you should have had assets aligned that way coming into the year. Even last year when, when the market was, was doing better in the back half of 2020, I mean, you don't want to be taking distributions from stocks. They're a volatile asset. And right. so you don't want to bank on them being up when you happen to need the money. So I just, you know, it, it, personal finances bleed through into these sort of uh, investing decisions very directly. And so maybe if people are doing a, a good job managing their balance sheet and, and uh, you know, take... And, Taking that forward yeah. and adjusting their allocation as a result, then uh, then there shouldn't there shouldn't be a need to make reactionary moves to what's happening in the stock market. Right, exactly. We say it all the time to clients, like don't put was long term dollars and in short term yeah. short term needs. Yeah, uh, it's a mismatch. It basically we're, we're we're just trying to match assets and liabilities. Right. If you have liabilities, meaning you've got to you've got to spend whatever per month over the next couple of years. Shouldn't shouldn't be in the market, and the dollars above and beyond that probably should be to some extent, and yeah. and to what extent is part of your plan and what you're comfortable with. But uh, you know that that shouldn't be changing because we've had a, a bad year in the stock market. Yeah, and you know it it's definitely tough out there. I think for investors uh, to to sit tight and not do things during market downturns when you have. Your friends telling you that they're making all these smart changes. You're seeing online that you should be doing something. You you know you turn on the TV, same thing. I mean, even in an article that that started out with with a a, a good you know statistic to point towards people not doing things with their money during a downturn. Like the halfway down the article, <laughs> the next paragraph was about here's why you should think about making a switch with your money to commodities. Right. Uh, you know. Not making a comment about commodities in general, but just the fact that this article was starting out talking about how great it was that, you know, only 5% of people are shifting their allocations, but halfway down the article, here's why you should shift your allocation. Just to add on, I would say that it's, a you know, back to those data points from Fidelity, 
more people are saying they're worried than are acting on those worries, I think that's healthy. That's fine. Yeah. I'm not saying that you can't have feelings about what's happening in the economy or the stock market. You're, you're certainly allowed to have feelings. We're human beings. Uh, but the idea that you, know, you should be taking those feelings and, and then making, making changes uh, based on them, at least on a regular basis, is, is the part where I draw the line. Uh, I, yeah. I think that it's healthy to have feelings to consider what you're doing in the context of those feelings and what's causing those feelings. And to ultimately, I, I would hope, arrive at the conclusion that what you're doing is still reasonable, although, right. you know, something has, has you scared or worried uh, about the future. I mean, it's, we don't, we're not robots. We don't live in a world where yeah. we, we don't have emotions about what's happening around us. Right. And I think another good point, too, is, you know, this, this whole time I've been, you know, talking about this in the scope of, you know, a market downturn. Um, but the, the, the numbers in the study at, you know, the 5% of people making changes went back to 2021 and 2022 or in 2020, yeah. uh, when the markets were ripping upwards. It's pretty consistent. It wasn't, it, it wasn't it's not necessarily was low or high. It was yeah. just normal. It was on par with other quarterly data that reality right. had. And so I think that the, the messages that we've been saying here are true in, in bad markets and in good markets as well. Yep. Uh, and, you know, as we're recording this right over your shoulder here, I'm looking at a picture from Carl Richards, and it's that, uh, that wavy line. And at the top, it says greed slash buy. And at the bottom, it says fear slash sell and uh, repeat until broke. And if you want to listen to the, the, the media and what everybody's worried about in the moment, then you will end up being that investor, which is the opposite of what we would hope to be. Yeah. Uh, buying, buying low, selling high, of course. And so, yep. um, yeah, you know, volatility gets people, uh, feeling different ways. Uh, it's, it's cool to have your feelings about what's happening. Um, I, I think that acting on them is maybe not, um, not the best thing, although uh, sometimes it, it's worth conversation, which is what what advisors are there for. It's what we do for our clients when, when they have feelings about what's happening in the economy. So uh, that's we're, we're here to apply the context and have the conversation about whether or not we should be doing anything as a result of it. Right. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, with, with market volatility, uh, sometimes we get questions about uh, different alternative investments, um, private investments in particular, fit this bill because people will hear in years like 2022 when stocks and bonds are down, when inflation's high, so people are even losing money on a real basis by holding cash, about these private investments that seem to have no volatility and, and are offering a return. It seems like a yeah. uh, an oasis in the desert uh, yeah. during, a, during a year where uh, everything a, else is down out there. Yeah. And it's like, what's this green thing out here? Uh, right. I, don't, I don't know what this is. So we, we've done our due diligence, of course, on, on these different things that, uh, that, that clients will bring across, uh, you know, our, our email inbox or, or just, you know, in conversation with us. And uh, it's, it's interesting to look under the hood. Yeah. And I think, especially when it comes to private investments, looking under the hood is, is what you actually need to do because it's not something that uh, they need to disclose to you. Yeah. Uh, so with a public, publicly traded security, you know, you're going to get all the information of, you know, the price and how much it's worth and, you know, all of the different 
it prices uh, all the different financial information yeah about these securities and um private privately traded securities or whatever type of private investment that you have they don't have those same regulations or those same requirements to disclose what's going on so um i think that not not necessarily that that these private investments are too good to be true, but sometimes it's just not exactly as straightforward as um, as what they might be reporting back to you. So it is important to look under the hood. Yeah, like in in particular, uh, these private investments will will look less volatile than stocks or even bonds. And if they're offering a return, that seems enticing because the volatility is what drives us crazy and makes us do. Right. On unwise things in the heat of the moment in, in many cases. So, uh, but, but that lack of volatility that we see from just, we're throwing a blanket over a broad array of things that could be private investments here, but the lack of volatility is more just a function of them not marking to market on a day-to-day basis like stocks and bonds do. Meaning, it's a lack of transparency in a sense. Yeah, so it's not that the assets themselves aren't subject to the same economic variables that impact stocks and bonds, like like we just talked about with the Fed coming out and talking about interest rates and sending stocks and bonds down for the last week. Um, private investments, whether we're talking about uh, private real estate or um, non, not yet public companies, right. I mean, it's not that those companies are immune to what's happening in the broader economy. It's just that we're not getting a fresh price on what they're trading for each and every day because they're not trading each and every day. Right, exactly. And so we're getting the best estimate from somebody else of what they think that asset might sell for hypothetically in some, again, hypothetical environment, whether it's today's environment or an ideal environment. And and when you read the fine print about how these things do report to to folks, that's when you find out how they report the data and what's reflected in that data. And it's usually a lot of assumptions. Right. Yeah. It's, it's a lot of estimates. And um, it's not that it's not that these private investments are lying or, or scamming people in a, you know, uh, they don't have the they, same data just, that Apple does because it you know trades right. hundreds of thousands of shares a day. Like we, we get a very good sense of what, what the worth of that is on a day to day basis. But yeah. if we talk about this with, the difference between uh, one that a lot of people are familiar with, um, just not not even commercial or private real estate stuff, but but uh, your home, right, right. So like your home is worth whatever somebody else will pay you for it, right. You don't have a ticker on your home that shows you uh, uh, the day to day price changes. Exactly. Oh, my house went up five thousand dollars today, like, right. That doesn't exist, right. So you can, but you can you can base an estimate off of. Uh, comparable sales in the area. You can base an estimate off of what what the most recent transaction was when you purchased it. You right. you can back into a ballpark of what it might be worth. But if you were to take it to market on any given day, it would be subject to the same stuff that impacts uh, everything else in the economy. So, right. like like for instance, if you had to sell your home in that first month after the coronavirus started. You would have had to take seventy-five cents on the dollar because you, if you had to unload it at that point in time, it wasn't immune to what was going on in the broader economy and right. the uncertainty that everybody was afraid of that was impacting stocks, bonds, other real estate. It, it had yeah. it's far-reaching. So, but if you didn't, 
if you didn't have to do anything at that point in time and you didn't have to sell, then you were none the wiser that your house was temporarily worth less. And I think that that's, if there is something interesting about private investments, it's that it masks that volatility in, in a way where you don't see it. It doesn't mean that it's not there. Right. Yeah. It's, uh, in a way, it, it could be good because you don't necessarily know how how wildly the the potential price of what you own is. Yeah. It, uh, it, it's good and bad in a way that, like, it's good because it's forcing you to take a long-term view, which you should. You can do the same thing by just not looking at your stock portfolio every day. Right. If you want your stock portfolio to act like a private investment portfolio, you could look at it, like, once a quarter because that's usually how much you get data-wise from a private investment. Right. Um, or, or even once a year. And we've talked about that before. The odds yeah. of seeing uh, progress with your investments is better the less you check in on them. Right. And uh, maybe that maybe that seems like a duh kind of a, a comment to people, but you know, uh, it could be used to your benefit if you don't need to if you don't need to be or want to be hyper aware of what's going on in your portfolio. Um, odds are you'll you'll be seeing uh, better results by just checking less frequently. Right. So it's the same it, thing with private investments. Yeah. I guess the downside is that usually in the fine print too, you find out that they're pretty high fee, right? And they're illiquid in the sense that you can't. You're going to have trouble selling it, right? And it's intuitive. Or selling in your ways. stake of whatever you own, exactly. Because like if we're talking about a private investment that's like commercial real estate, for, for instance, yeah. Um, think about the idea of unloading a, a strip mall. Right. It's not as easy as click and sell on right. How many how many millions portfolio. of people out there could buy your share of Apple? Right. There's, but there's, there's maybe one or two yet. people out there who could buy your share of a of a mall. Yeah. Or you know yeah, commercial not, real estate. So it's not it's not trading a lot, which is why the price isn't updating all the time. So it but pros and cons meaning you can't quickly get out of it. Yeah. Um, and there's usually a lot more fees involved with investments like that. And so I think that when people try to compare them to liquid investments that trade every day like stocks and bonds, it's just that they're not apples to apples. Right. So I'm not saying that like one is good and the other is bad. It's just that it's uh, like I let off saying in a year like this it looks like wow, what's this magic investment that isn't that isn't down it's while still, everything else is. Right. That is not a reason to rush into an investment like that. I think you need to understand why it appears to not be down in this year, um, and 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 what goes along with that as as uh, you know as as you consider whether it's a worthwhile investment or not. Right. Totally agree. So I, I think that's a very good place to end this episode of the Maluli Asset Management Podcast. This is episode number four hundred and seven. Uh, thanks for tuning in, and we will catch up with you on the next episode. Tom Maluli is an investment advisor representative with Maluli Asset Management. All opinions expressed by Tom and his podcast guests are solely their own opinions and do not necessarily reflect the opinions of Maluli Asset Management. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon as a basis for investment decisions. Clients of Maluli Asset Management may maintain positions and securities discussed in this podcast.